morning. How's everybody doing? You guys doing all right? All right. Hey, I want to welcome you to our third week of our Road to Series, uh, Road to Freedom series. And um, man, I just want to let you know that uh, over the course of the last two weeks, as we've kind of set off into 2012, uh, something is is shifting in our church. God is doing uh, an amazing work as we have looked at how do we begin to experience the freedom that is ours in Christ. Uh, and, and we kind of, I want to tell you just a little bit about what uh, kind of birthed this series. Um, in the fall, throughout our Christ Alone series and the Lord's Prayer series and Alpha and Omega series, a theme that kept coming up was this, this tremendous freedom that we have in Christ. And, and I was proclaiming and, and kind of declaring to you that, that in Christ you have such great freedom. Uh, but I realized in, in planning the services for this year, that, that we may need a, a little more handles to grab onto and begin to truly experience that freedom. It's one thing to declare the truth. You are free in Christ. It's a whole other thing to go a step further and begin to grab a hold of how do we begin to experience these, this freedom. And so during the road to freedom, I'm not giving you steps uh, I'm not giving you a formula because I feel like, the, especially in the new year, when all of you have set resolutions and now we're toward the end of January, most of you have already ditched your resolutions. And, uh, you know, the last thing that you need is just steps to something. The last thing that you need is a formula because our, our God, that we, the God that we serve is not a formula. And oftentimes when someone says, here's the formula to freedom, you, you do it, you say this plus this, and it's supposed to equal this great freedom and this great spiritual victory. And yet I'm not experiencing that. There must be something wrong with me and it leads to guilt. And so during this series, I'm not giving you formulas and I'm not giving you steps. What I want to give you are foundations, freedom foundations, foundations on which we can build our lives and begin to live more and more into the freedom that we have in Christ. And we're kind of taking a topical uh, look at this and saying, what is it in our lives that rob us of spiritual victory most often? And we're going to look at some big things. Like today, we're looking at addiction. And that's one of the kind of huge things in our life that can often rob us of victory in Christ. But we're also looking at some small things significant, or they may seem small, but really they're significant, and they have a profound impact on our life. And we spent the last two weeks looking at insecurity and anxiety. And I want to tell you, I have gotten more feedback about this series than any other series uh, that we've done here. God is moving in our lives in a powerful way. And so I encourage you to go back on, online and, and listen to those messages if you missed them. Uh, but I, at the end of every message, I'm giving you freedom foundations. And so that is basically the sermon in a sentence that you can tweet kind of a thing. Like uh, oftentimes when I'm planning services, I'm like, if I can't tweet the main idea to, of this message, it's too complicated. Right. I, I want to put the hay where every goat can get it. OK, uh, I'm not calling you goats. So some of you are looking at me shaking your head. Come on, work with me here. I'm putting the cookies on every shelf, shelf where we can all get it. I'm dying here, okay? So I'm just trying to make it clear, and if I, can, if I can't tweet it, then I start all over, start from scratch. So let's move on. Let me give you the Freedom Foundations for the last two weeks. The first week we looked at insecurity, and the Freedom Foundation that week was, my father says. 
My father says, the the God, your heavenly father, says this about you. He says that you're valuable. He says that you're loved. He says that you're significant. He says that you're capable through him and his empowerment in your life and all these types of things. And so we we are our foundation on which to build our security as people and who we are in Christ is my father says. This is who my father says I am. Now week two, last week we looked at anxiety or worry. And uh, the Freedom Foundation there was don't trust in the plan, trust in the person. And I held up our family plan, and, and we have all this, this great family calendar because I married uh, a type A person who's very organized and loves to plan ahead. And, and uh, I said, you know what, if God gave you every step along the journey, chances are you wouldn't trust in him. You'd trust the steps along the journey. And so I said, don't trust the plan, but trust the person. And so today, today I want to tackle addiction. And uh, now I know, I know that this sermon is for someone else. I know it's not for you. Even though, even though when you go, you, you, you go shopping when you're sad and you have thousands of dollars of credit card debt, you don't have a, shop, you don't have a shopping addiction, I know. It, it, it's for someone else. And I know that you're not a workaholic. I know that you're not addicted to work or, or, or what it means to you or, or trying to climb the corporate ladder. I know that you're not addicted to that, even though the last several weeks you've been, uh, you've been avoiding your family to work 80 hours a week. But I, I, know, you're, I know that you know, that's just an issue. That's not an addiction, right? And I know that you're, an alcohol, you're not an alcoholic, right? Because you know, beer just tastes better after the fourth one. So you're not an alcoholic. I, I, I know. I know this, this sermon is not for you, okay? So maybe it will help someone else. Now, that's a little rough around the edges, isn't it? There's a famous preacher, uh, Whitfield, who said, um, I want to get this right. He says, it is a poor sermon that gives no offense. It is a poor sermon that gives no offense. In other words, when we open up the word of God that is as sharp as a double-edged sword, it's going to cut. Right? I mean, if we're really allowing the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and to work in our lives, we're not going to be comfortable. And I hope that you haven't come to church to be comfortable today. I hope that you've come to church expecting to hear a word from God, expecting to be set free, and expecting God to speak to you in a powerful way. But if you've come here to just be comfortable, you're in the wrong place. Because it is a poor sermon that gives no offense. There's going to be something said that will, that will come a little too close to home. And you'll say, oh, man, that preacher. And you'll be all mad at me. Don't be mad at me. I'm just the messenger. My prayer every Sunday morning is, God, just use me as your instrument. Just say through me what you desire to say to these people. So don't be mad at me. I'm just the messenger. So I also want to give, a, as we look at this, this kind of enormous difficult uh, topic of addiction, I want to give a Surgeon General's warning, okay? So, so here's the disclaimer up front. Uh, I, I'm not a doctor, and, and some of you are facing addictions uh, that you need medical care and medical care and advice and direction. Uh, what I want to do today is I want to explore the, the spiritual implications of addiction. Uh, and I believe this is for everybody, 
I, I believe this, this message today that, that God has laid on my heart is for every one of you, regardless of, of your drug of choice, regardless of how, how deep in the spiral of addiction you find yourself. Uh, it's for everybody. But le- let me say to you that for many of you, hearing God's word and opening it up and allowing the spirit to move in our life will be enough to set you free and God will deliver you today. Or some of you need to be delivered by God and then go see a doctor for the physical implications of your addiction, okay? So I'm not a doctor. Uh, This is not a a complete sort of uh, course of of rehabilitation. Uh, I want to give us, again, foundations to build on to begin to experience freedom and freedom from addiction, okay? So let me also start by saying this. Whatever your addiction is, whatever your drug of choice is, that's only the symptom, not the disease. And some of you have been fighting addiction for years on end, and you've just finally come to the place where you're like, you know what, this is just part of me. It's always going to be part of me. I'm never going to be truly set free from this. And I would argue, or at least encourage you to think about, that the reason that is, is that perhaps you've spent years and tons of effort trying to treat the symptom and not the disease. Whatever addiction it is, whatever drug of choice, that's only the symptom. It's not the disease. Because the symptom cannot be fixed by simply changing your behavior. Your heart has to change. Your heart has to change. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at a change of heart and how we allow God to grip our hearts in a powerful way. And so the passage that we're going to be reading and kind of exploring out of Isaiah is truly a passage that deals with the heart, okay? So turn to your Bibles, uh, Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44, I want to read, uh, I want to go in sections. I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to preach a little while. I'm going to read some scripture. I'm going to preach a little while, okay? So here we go. I want to start with Isaiah 44, and uh, we're going to be in that chapter the whole time this morning, but I want to start by by reading verses 6 through 9. Isaiah 44, 6 through 9 says this. This is what the Lord says. Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and the last, and apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let them proclaim it. Let them declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. And let them foretell what 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 will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid, for did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? For you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and the things that they treasure are worthless. Whatever your drug of choice today is, whatever the object of your addiction, let me say to you, that is the symptom. The disease is idolatry. The disease is idolatry because if, we, if we're only treating the addiction, if we're only saying, I want to I stop drinking, I want to stop doing this, whatever that is, if we're only treating that, and if our heart, if our heart is bent toward uh, creating an idol, we will find victory over this only to find ourselves in another addiction over here. We've got to address the change of heart where God has the primary seat in our heart. So addiction is allowing this habit, this substance, this person, to stand in the place of God in your heart. Does that make sense? Whatever it is that you struggle with is only the symptom, and I want you to hear that today. I'm going to repeat it over and over and over again. 
Because so many of you are trying to treat that thing. And again, medically, you need to treat that thing. But the spiritual issue that's going on is idolatry. You've allowed the the primary seat of your heart to, to slip away from God and something else slips in its place, whatever that drug of choice may be. And so the prophet Isaiah speaks right to the truth. He says, if you have fashioned an idol in your life, the thing that you treasure is worthless. You know what happens in an addiction? It gets worse and worse, and we get to the point where we just have to have it, where we'll spend any amount of money, we'll go to any links, we'll lie to to have that fixed, that thing, whatever it is. We'll, We'll begin to do anything because we've placed so much value on that act, on that substance, on that person, so that we'll do anything to come into contact with that again. But what the scripture says is that if we're treating the disease, then, we are, then the curtain is pulled back on that and we realize that that thing doesn't even have a speck of the value that you're placing on it in reality. We've, we've, we've elevated the value of the object of our addiction so much that our reality is completely distorted. And what the scripture, what the, the prophet wants to say is, first of all, if we're fashioning an idol, those who make idols are, are, are nothing. And what the thing that they hold so dear, the thing that has the treasure of their heart in reality, in truth, is actually worthless. Now, I know that's difficult to hear because if you find yourself caught in an addiction, that thing is more valuable than anything in your life. And you'll do anything to get that next, that next view at that picture, that video, that hit on the substance, whatever it is. And yet the scripture wants to say, that thing that you hold so valuable is actually worthless in truth. This is the part about the offense. Some of you are like already rationalizing. Well, maybe it's not as valuable as I think it is, but it's not worthless. That's the rub. That's the offense. That is the spirit of God working, moving, and you allowing the enemy to come in and tell you lies. The, The scripture says that that which you value so highly is actually worthless. God does not want us to belong to anything but him. God does not want to, uh, us to be beholden to anything but him. And the scripture talks about God being a jealous God. Is that just sort of because God has this attitude problem? Is, is God just kind of jealous because he, he's like off his rocker and he doesn't know what's going on and he's just like has, had a bad, has a bad attitude? No. God describes himself as being a jealous God because he knows that he's the only one capable of standing in the center of your life and holding everything together. Because have you discovered that when you put this addiction at the center of your life and you'll do anything to get that and you'll do anything to feed that addiction, have you realized that things don't really go so well? Have you realized that your self-esteem goes down? Have you realized that your guilt goes up? And all of these things. But if we place the jealous God who deserves our all in the seat of our heart, God says, I'm jealous for you because I'm the only one in the universe that can properly sit in that place and hold that chair. I'm the only one that can handle that. 
I'm the only one that can handle the pressure of your life. I'm the only one that can handle uh, all, the, all the pressure and all the, the responsibility and all the, the peer pressure of your life. It's me. And so put me in my proper place and put everything else in its proper place. So God just doesn't have an attitude problem when he talks about being jealous. God is saying, I'm the creator of the universe and the only one capable of sitting in the chair where I belong. Does that make sense? All right. So let's continue reading. So again, there's like three mini sermons built in here, okay? So so to review, right, the addiction is the symptom and the disease is idolatry. Let's keep reading. Let's pick it up at verse 13, Isaiah 44, verse 13. And here in this section, we are going to pull the curtain back on addiction and realize what's really driving that thing, okay? So uh, 13 through 20, I want to read. Okay, so the carpenter measures a line, and he makes an outline with a marker, and he roughs it out with chisels, and he makes it with compasses, and he shapes it in a human form, human form in all of its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. And then he cuts down cedars, or perhaps he took a a, a cypress or an oak, and he let it grow among the trees of the forest, or planted a pine, and the rain made it grow, and then he uses it for fuel, for burning Some of it he takes and he warms himself. He kindles a fire. He breaks bread. These are all proper uses of the tree that has grown in the forest, right? He cuts it down. He uses it fuel for fire. He bakes bread. But then look what happens in the second part of verse 15. But then he fashions a god and he worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire, and over it he prepares a meal, and he roasts his meat, and he eats his fill. He also warms himself, and he says, Ah, I am warm, I see the fire. And from the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it, and he worships it, and he prays to it, and he says, Save me, for you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. And their minds are closed so that they cannot understand. No one stops to think. And no one has the knowledge or the understanding to say that half of what I used for fuel. And I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. But shall I make this detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such people feed on ashes and a deluded heart misleads them. They cannot say to themselves, Or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? No. Check this out. Addiction is asking the object of your addiction to do something that it was never intended to do. Look, look at the scripture. He, he grows these trees, oak or cypress. He, he then he, he cuts down the trees. Lord, are you pleased with me? <laughs> he cuts down the trees, and what does he do? He builds a fire. He warms himself with it. He bakes some bread. Those are all great uses of the tree. But then he makes an idol out of it. And he, he asks it to do something that the tree was never intended to do. He says, he fashions an idol, and then he says to the tree, save me, for you are my God. Let me ask you a very hard question. Can that block of wood save him? Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? 
until we realize in our own life how many times the object of our addiction, we are asking it to do something that it was never intended to do and, in fact, cannot do. And we laugh when a carpenter tries to to say to a block of wood, save me, and yet so often we spend effort and time into the point of our addiction meeting our need. Let me give you some examples. All right. We're going to start light and go heavy, okay? So, you're feeling a little down, you're a little stressed out, you're feeling like you're not very happy, so you go to the mall. And you feel like that having a handful of shopping bags is going to make you feel all better, and you feel like that handful of shopping bags is, is, going, to make, is going to reduce the stress in your life. But let me tell you, you're asking those jeans to do something they were never intended to do. Jeans are meant to cover your booty, not reduce your stress. Are you with me? You all laugh because it's, it hits home, right? I mean, you're asking a new pair of shoes to make you happy, and you laugh at the carpenter who, who's asking a block of wood to save him, right? So let me tell you, if your jeans are from the buckle, they may, look, you may, they may make your booty look good or better, but they're not going to reduce your stress. Are you with me now? Can I get an amen for buckle jeans? I knew there were some fans out there, all right? Buy them on sale. Because stewardship and all that stuff is important, all right? That's what I do, okay? <laughs> we have derailed. Okay, late at night. <laughs> late at night, you're up studying, and all of a sudden, you call upon coffee to make you smarter, right? And you're like, man, my mind is all mumble jumble. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. I got this test in the, you know, at 8 a.m. And so I'm going to call upon this coffee to make me smarter and clear my mind. Let me tell you, coffee will keep you awake, but it won't make you smarter, okay? And it won't let you do better on the test. Some of you are like, I disagree. That's the rub. That's the, that's the, that's the, uh, the objection, see? Uh, so we're calling upon this, this substance to do something that it was never intended and, in fact, cannot do. All right, I, I picked on the girls with the, the clothes and the buckle jeans. Maybe I was picking on myself a little bit too. Guys, you're just as bad with your big screen TVs and your loud stereo systems. Uh, and you know, and you get, you, you, you're in a rough marriage and you're feeling bad. And so you go out and you think that the big screen TV is going to fix your marriage. And it turns out that watching movies is a lot more fun, but your marriage still sucks. Because you're asking that TV to do something it was never intended to do. Does that make sense? Let me keep giving us some examples. I want want to really nail this, this point home. Food is a good thing and a necessary thing. But sometimes we call upon it to do things that it was never intended to do. Right, Because a lot of times addiction takes this thing that's very good, very necessary, but then twists it and again asks it to do something it simply cannot do. And so some of, so food is one of those things. It's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. But some of us are calling upon it to do things that it can never, ever do. You're calling upon food to keep your figure. But let me tell you, God measures beauty in a completely different way than our culture. And it's all right. You should eat healthy. You should take care of this body that God has given you. But you can't ask food to do something it simply cannot do. Sometimes we use food to beat loneliness. I know. Five years ago, when, uh, when, when we had no kids, and I don't even remember that life. But five years ago, when we moved here, uh, 
Amy was traveling 25% of the time. She was gone one week, a full week out of every month. And so, like, the first time she leaves the house, and, you know, after five years of marriage, and, and uh, she leaves the house, I got the house all to myself, I'm like, this is awesome. And within five minutes of her leaving, I've got a movie playing way too loud. I'm in my boxers eating pizza and cream soda. It's amazing, right? <laughs> the very next night, I'm like, I'm lonely, man. <laughs> and what do I do? In my loneliness, I eat, like, ice cream by the gallon. They're like, two scoops? Nope, just give me the whole bucket. And I'm calling upon this ice cream to fix the loneliness. Do you think it worked? Here's the nature of the addiction. When we ought, sometimes it will work for a little while. Now, this is a stupid example, but work with me. While I'm eating the ice cream, I don't feel quite so lonely because I got chocolate chip cookie dough to keep me company. As soon as it's done, do I find myself less lonely or more? See, the, the, the addiction spirals down. Whatever it is that you're calling the addiction to do, it may be met for a season or for a little while or for a few fleeting moments. But when you come to the other side of that action, you will find yourself deeper in the hole than when you started. That's the nature of addiction. Asking something to do that it was never intended to do. Sex is a good thing. It's intended to be an expression of intimacy between a man and a woman inside the covenant of marriage. That's the part that our culture misses nowadays, even in the church. Inside the covenant of marriage, it's a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's an expression of the intimacy that is already there. And yet so many times, we look at that video, that picture, explore sex outside of marriage, asking it to do something that in that context it cannot do. You're asking that to chase the loneliness, but you will find yourself only more lonely. It simply cannot do what you're asking it to do. Now I know I'm driving this point home and we're going to get somewhere. Drugs and medicine began with a good purpose, to regulate imbalances in our body, to fight disease, to to make us more healthy. But out of whack, it can do all kinds of things to our bodies. Work, career, vocation are a good thing, meant to give us a calling and a purpose and a way to provide for ourselves and our culture. But sometimes we elevate that to a place where we ask that to give us significance, that if we climb the corporate ladder, we'll count. And we're asking our work to give us this sense of worth, and it simply cannot do it. So what do we do? We work more hours to make more money so I can buy more things. Oftentimes, there's these multiple addictions that are coming together. If I have an addiction to shopping, there's only one way that I get money, and that's work. So I work more, so I have more money, so I can shop more, so I can be happy. Are you happy? No. So let me, let me get a little bit more practical with this um, because I, I really, I think you guys get it. You're a sharp crowd. But here's, here's the thing. This, the prophet Isaiah says, is this thing in my right hand, isn't this a lie? And that's what I want you to really grab a hold of today. 
What I really want you to understand is that whatever the object of your addiction and you're looking to, for, to, to it to fulfill a need, it simply cannot fulfill. I want God the, and the Holy Spirit and the work in your life to realize and for you to, to pull the curtain off your eyes and begin to look and say, this thing that I hold so dearly is in fact a lie. It cannot do what I'm asking it to do. It it is not intended for that. It simply cannot meet that purpose. It doesn't matter how lonely I get. It doesn't matter how much I strive for happiness through all these kind of different avenues. This thing in my right hand is a lie. And I pray that God will help you to realize that. And I pray that all of us will realize that. That the spiritual issue is not the addiction, it's our heart. And if you, you can try and try and try to fix the addiction, but if your heart hasn't changed, at best you will find seasonal success or temporary success. And so here's what I want you to do. All of these things that I've mentioned, uh, if you can get a handle on what you're looking for through the addiction, if you can get a handle on what you're asking that object to do, you have identified your trigger. And the trigger is whatever happens or however you feel just before you participate in the addiction. And so I want you to think about what it, whatever it is previous to doing that, how are you feeling? What's happening in your heart? What's happening in your head? What kind of surroundings are you in? Because chances are the same trigger is happening over and over. Sometimes we have multiple triggers. Most often, it's one trigger that sets this thing off all the time. We deal with loneliness, and we're trying to fight that through all these things, through all these ways that were never intended to fight loneliness. And so I want to help you today to begin to identify your trigger. And I pray that God will give you discernment to know what that trigger is so that you can begin to beat it. Because... Truthfully, discovering the trigger is the key to freedom from addiction. If you can never discern the trigger, your chances for freedom are very low. Okay? So you work too much to prove yourself, but you don't have to prove yourself to God because he created you. And the scripture says to do all things as unto the Lord. And so you're not working for them You're working for him. Did you catch that corporate person? Person in the the business field, planning to go into the business field? You're not working for them. You're working for him. Do all things as unto the Lord. And don't find your value in your work, because your work is not who you are. Your value is not in what you produce. God says that you're valuable. You don't need to prove yourself to him. He created you. You're looking to the bottle for healing. But God is the only one who provides reconciliation. And God is the only one who provides redemption. Do you see what's happening here? When we give these things the seed of our heart and we call upon them to do something that we can never do, but if we have God in, the, in that seat, we realize that he is all sufficient to meet our need. Now, I don't know if you guys are just asleep this morning or if this is just hitting too close to home, but you've got to work with me a little bit. And so this thing that you've placed in the seat, if you place God in that place, If you put God there, you will find that he is absolutely sufficient to meet your every need. 
So you look to the bottle for healing. You look to the, to the, to the alcohol to, to erase the past. And God wants to say, it's time for you to stop dwelling in what happened in the past. It's time to, for you to start looking forward to what I have for you in the future. That you can't change this, but you can redeem this. You, wanna, you know what I mean? All of this can be redeemed for God's purposes so that he can work through you and begin to change your future. You're looking at pornography to feel special and to chase away loneliness. But it is God and God alone who provides us with companionship. And the thing about pornography, guys, it's an issue, it's an issue with girls in our culture too, but primarily guys still, is that you don't have to work. You don't have to be in any kind of relationship for that woman to open herself up to you. And in our culture, that's pretty attractive. I don't have to do anything, and this girl just offers herself to me. But that's all based out of a lie. That a true and good and God-honoring relationship means you honor her. And again, the sexual part of your relationship becomes an expression of the love that's already there. Inside the covenant of marriage. Hear me, students. Inside the covenant of marriage. If you are sexually active with your girlfriend or boyfriend, you need to stop that. So many times we look to, to, to allow the, the loneliness to flee away. But I promise you, you will find yourself only more lonely. You will find yourself in a deeper hole than you ever were in before. And it is God and God alone who can lift us up and provide that companionship that you're looking for. So, first we need to identify our triggers. Discover what it is that's causing you to to move into that. Sometimes it's something really profound, like that deep sense of loneliness. Other times, it's something pretty simple, like I'm just bored. There's some of you that are turning to something every time you're bored, and that's your trigger. I'm bored, and so I do this, and it's not healthy, it's not good, and you're asking that to take away your boredom, which is something it was never intended to do and, in fact, can't do. And so sometimes triggers are, are kind of this, this, like, we need to deal with that because it's pretty deep. Other times, you just need to make a list and start being productive. So let me give you some some ideas. Once you've discovered that trigger, then I would encourage you to answer that trigger in a more authentic and honest way. So let's use pornography as another example. You're looking at pornography to chase away loneliness and to maybe gain some, some sense, false sense of companionship. In those moments when you feel that loneliness, instead of answering that loneliness and and moving to pornography, which will never meet that need, perhaps you can open your Bible and, and begin to seek the companionship of God. Now that seems really cliche, doesn't it? Hey man, whenever you're tempted, man, just pray. It's all good. God will help you. Listen, if you realize the trigger then the answer becomes much more significant. 
I mean, again, if all you're trying to do is treat the symptom, every time I'm tempted, I I just pray, the prayer will be empty. But if you realize the trigger, that the true need is companionship, that the true need is to answer the loneliness, then your prayer becomes much more directed. But some of you have tried that before. You're like, well, I'm tempted to look at this stuff, and I know I'm supposed to, in this moment, instead of looking, I'm supposed to pray. And so you pray, and you're like, Lord, be with the people in Africa. I mean, you don't even know. You have no direction for your prayer. And you're like, I'm going to open the Bible. And so you, you close your eyes and are like, boom. And you're like, I chose a day from them and they sat at their chief. And you're like, awesome. That was helpful, Lord. Right? But if you know the trigger, then the answer and what you're trying to receive from God can be much more pointed. Does that make sense? And so whatever it is, identify the trigger and then find a way to meet that in a more honest and authentic way. Is this helping anyone today? Two of you are being helped. That is amazing. Okay? You're tempted to have one more drink to chase the emotional pain away. Instead, cry out to God for help. Place yourself in a community that can help share your burdens and share your victories. So whatever the emotional need is, whatever that trigger is, seek to meet it in a more authentic way. And by the way, if 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 you're looking to alcohol to try to chase emotional pain away, because that's, that's the most common reason to drink. Number one, we get started drinking through social pressure, and then two, we keep drinking because life just gets hard. Let's be honest, when you're a high school student, life isn't that hard. It's getting more complicated in our culture, but homework, cell phone, you're all good. Girlfriend problems, it's all good. Trust me, students, you think college is hard. Wait till you get to, quote, real life, okay? And many of you are there, and I understand that, and I don't want to, I don't want to uh, negate the, the challenges that students have because they are profound, but I promise you it's not like once I'm an adult, things get easy. Trust me, things get more complicated, okay? And so, what, so we drink to chase away this emotional thing that's going on. We, we drink to, to forget our past, to escape the present. But we need to look to the one who can truly begin to heal that need. So identify your trigger. Now, let me give you some, uh, some other thoughts here, and I need to find my, my place. All right, so uh, let's read Isaiah 40, uh, 21 through 22, and this is, I want to close uh, with, with some of these thoughts. Now, there is no cure for addiction, but I think these things will really help. This is what happens Reading on, right from where we left off, left off. Remember these things, Jacob, for you, Israel, you are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant. Israel, I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Now return to me, for I have redeemed you. So after you've identified your trigger and after you've see, sought to meet that in a more honest and authentic way, one of the things that will move you from deliverance to true freedom, you know there's a difference, right? There's a difference between deliverance and freedom. Because when we, uh, when we stop looking at pornography, we've been delivered from that. But God wants you to move on from being delivered into the freedom of living in purity. Because sometimes so many Christians are delivered and then we never live into the true freedom that God has for us. And so he wants to deliver you from your past and all that has gone on and then redeem you for the future so that you can live in the true freedom of moving forward. 
He wants to deliver you, and then he wants you to free you. And so what some of the things that we can do are found right here as this, as this, this prophet speaks, Isaiah. Number, the first thing is we have to see who God is and allow ourselves to be changed by him. We have to see who God is and allow ourselves to be changed by him. Again, this isn't a matter of action. It's a matter of the heart. And this passage describes who God is. First of all, he says, I have made you. I know your innermost thoughts. I know the struggle. I know the triggers. I know everything that's going on. I am your creator. And I see all the mess of your life. And yet I say to you, I love you. Some of us need to get a hold of a God who sees all of our mess and loves us. Because some of you feel like you got to get all your stuff straight and then come to God. But God wants to say to you, I see that all your stuff isn't straight. I see that your life is jacked up. But let me tell, to you, let me tell you, let me declare to you that I still love you. I have made you and you are mine. Who God is is our creator. Second thing, I will not forget you. Regardless of your struggle, your unfaithfulness, God remains faithful and God has not forgotten you. Some of you feel like you're so far removed from God that he has totally forgotten you. You feel like there's, there, there, there's a thousand steps back to God and you got to like approach him and say, hey, remember me? God says, I have never forgotten you and I've been waiting for you to return. The righteous, man, the righteous man isn't the man who never falls down. The righteous man is the one who gets back up and returns. And that's, in fact, the third thing. God says, return to me. He says, return to me, for I have redeemed you. God is inviting you this morning to return from the addiction and back into his arms. God is inviting you to lose the idol in your life and place him in the seat where he belongs. Not because he has a bad attitude, but because he knows and now we know that he is the only one that can handle that spot. He's the only one that can hold everything together while sitting in the seat of your heart. Let me close by giving you your freedom foundation. My God can do what my drug never could. I'm using drug as a generic term, drug of choice, whatever it is. But may you realize today in the true depths of your heart that your God can do what your drug never could. And my prayer over over us today is that we would experience not only deliverance, but freedom. Some of you today are in the throes of addiction and you need to be delivered. That's the first step. That's the first part of the process. Some of you have been delivered, but you're not really living in the freedom that God has has made a way for you and that God has provided for you. And so you need to move from deliverance to freedom. Whatever it is today, I pray that you would open yourselves up to the work of his spirit that he might change you profoundly.